0: Uh, chapter 1, verses uh, 26 to 46. Yeah, no, the, the verses on there are wrong, so just follow my lead. Don't follow what that says. You're right, though. Yeah, we're going to start earlier because I feel we get more of a sense of the story. Verses 26 to 45. Luke is the first part of it. About three quarters of the way through the Bible, you'll find the gospel of Luke, his good words. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear, but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me?' As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. May God bless the reading of his word. It's a good word. Um, It's Advent, and it's that season where we light candles week after week, and we read scripture, and we reflect on and celebrate the coming of Jesus and we prepare for the second coming of Jesus. And often the themes in the season are waiting and, and hoping. Last week we, we tackled one, uh, uh, repenting, and, and they can be kind of somber, they can be kind of serious. But always in the Advent season we come to joy. It's as if joy is kind of waiting to break out onto the scene. I love joy. And today we're gonna look at the theme of joy through the lens of Mary and, and Elizabeth. Mary, in her discovery and response to the news that she's to bear the Christ child. And so we'll talk about joy. What is joy? If you look up in the dictionary, it says it's a state of well-being, and it's often associated with happiness. People often use those terms kind of interchangeably, but actually in Scripture, the two are very distinct ideas and words. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, what makes me happy. I was thinking how I'm happy when I get to hang out with my boys, with my sons. A couple of weeks ago, my one son, who is out at UBC, called me up and said, Dad, I've got this Friday. I know Friday's your day off, Dad. I've got this Friday free. You wanna hang with me? Like, aw? I got no aws in the first service. Way more sympathetic moms here, I think. I was all moms that were awing. (laughs) You guys are like, that's dope. That's dope, man. That's my, what my son would say. Dope means good, not weed. <laughs> Just clarifying. The things I learned from my, my children, actually. Um, so I, I'm happy when I get to hang out with my boys. I'm, I'm happy. It's no, no secret. I'm happy when I get to eat a great meal. Yeah? Amen? Preach it? Yeah? Not at all. You guys are useless to me today. This is terrible. <laughs> Um, I'm happy after watching a great film. Anybody like great films? No, not very many, actually. I'm happy when the guys and the girls are playing a game and the guys are winning. I really like that. That makes me happy. You know, I can also say that some of those things actually bring me joy. I take joy at being with my sons. I I take joy at going on, on dates with my wife. I take joy even, you know, friends and a good meal. It's it's a joyful experience for me and so happiness and joy seem to be kind of tied up there and and but one of the ways we can distinguish between them is that nowhere in the new testament do we find them telling us or commanding us to be happy you know nowhere do we have like a pharaoh william saying be happy be happy always uh, again i say be happy it's it's just not there that's not in the new testament Happiness seems to be a response to something external. So if something good is happening or positive is going on in my life, you know, it makes you happy. It's coming from outside. But joy is different. In the New Testament, we find the authors tell us to be joyful always. Paul in Philippians, in his letter of joy, commands us, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I tell you, rejoice. Now, this tells us something. It tells us that joy is something that can be commanded of. It can be demanded of us. It can be called up. It's independent of our circumstances. So it starts from within, and it gives us a certain perspective. And we've got to remember that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings joy in our hearts, and it begins to bubble out to our lives, So while happiness might be something that can give us a sense of joy, joy is something much greater, much more comprehensive and deeper than happiness. I think it's always helpful talking about joy to remember the Apostle Paul, who was telling us to rejoice always, wrote those words while in a prison, waiting to find out whether he'd be executed or not. The guy's like on death row, and he's saying, rejoice in the Lord always, and so, so it's not the outside stuff in our lives that bring joy. It's, it's gotta be coming from somewhere else. And so we wanna talk this morning about what do we do to discover joy? How can we find joy? And we're gonna look at Mary and the joy she discovers after she finds out that she's gonna be a mother. And, and then we're gonna look at a passage in 1 Thessalonians to help us discover how we do this. Let's just pause again, just invite the Spirit of God to open up our hearts to the joy he wants to bring us today. Yes, God, we pray again, come, Lord Jesus. You came, and you're coming, and you want to come right now and meet us in this moment, and you want to speak to us, and you have gifts for us, and we want to say we're wide open to hear. We are. We pray these things together in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk about uh, Mary for a few minutes uh, Mary, you know, she's living in a tiny town. Nazareth probably had like just a, a few dozen families living in it. It's a tiny place. Uh, when I was in Israel a few years ago, uh, I spent my last three days in Israel in Nazareth. You know, I, I was not part of a tour group or anything. I actually stayed in a convent, which means I can check that off my bucket list. Lived with nuns, you know? It's actually rather underwhelming, but still... <laughs> You know, done that, but <laughs> Nazareth is now a bustling city, and it's got this massive church that celebrates Mary. You can see kind of the church in the background, in the right, actually in the center, just to the right. Massive church. It was very different in the first century. It was a tiny podunk village off the beaten, beaten path. I mean, unless you, you had a reason you didn't go to Nazareth Nathaniel, one of Jesus' disciples, when he met Jesus and heard he was the Messiah, he said, what good can come from Nazareth? Nazareth was that kind of town. The name Nazareth actually has some some meaning. It it was taken from the Hebrew word Natsor, which is a word that was used by two Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, to describe the coming of the Messiah. It's a word that meant branch, And this this branch of Jesse, the the coming of David's offspring, who was gonna be the Messiah. So so Nazareth was kind of a a, a significant name of a town. And so Mary grows up in Nazareth. She's probably young. She was like 14 years old, we figure. Um, How do we know that? Young women were often engaged right after they went through puberty because it meant that that girl was, was now a woman and was able to bear children. And this wasn't really a different day, okay? It was not a, a, an abuse at all. You see, first century women in Palestine, they lived to an average age of 34 years old. They often died in, in childbirth, and so you, you kind of didn't waste time. You got on with that, and when you're eligible, you got engaged. And getting engaged in that culture was no small thing. I, I married into a Eastern culture, and I know getting engaged is like a wedding to some of us. It's, it's huge. And... <laughs> So she gets engaged, there'd be a a celebration, there'd be a legal ceremony, and then Mary would be engaged for a year before they'd consummate the marriage. And that was Mary, probably 14 years old, and the angel Gabriel appears to her and says, greetings, the Lord is with you. So she pondered what kind of greeting that one might, might be. I think I'd be pondering too pondering whether it's a good time to run away from this angel that's dropped into my life right then. I think that's what I'd be pondering. Anyone agree? Yeah, I think so. But he also said to her, he said, Mary, you have found favor with God, which tells us something about what Mary was like. Mary later on would say that God exalted her who was of lowly position, which means we probably know that Mary was poor. He comes to this young woman, and he says, you found favor with God and God's got a special assignment for you. You're going you're to have a baby. And she says, how can I have a baby? I, I haven't gotten married yet. And he says, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit is going to take care of that part of things. And you're going to have a baby, and the baby's going to be the Messiah, the Son of the Most High God. Aren't you excited about this, Mary? Aren't you thrilled about this? Now, nowhere in this point of the text do we read that Mary's excited about this. It's just not there. Nowhere here does it say Mary has joy. We're going to find joy in the Magnificat, which, which Mary, it's a song that Mary writes, which is probably written much later. So first, I'm guessing Mary's just stunned. She's, she's shocked and frightened. I mean, I think about it. We, I think many of us have this image of Mary. In fact, artists through the ages have, have this image of what Mary looked like in this moment, this serene Mary who's just so happy about this news. But think about it. Mary was living in a time where according to the law, if you got married, if you got pregnant and it was not, not from your husband, you'd be stoned to death. H- how would she tell people about this news? Like, who, who would she go to? I mean, she, we're told in Matthew, she explains this to Joseph, and, and Joseph doesn't believe her, and, and so Joseph agrees to divorce her quietly so that she wouldn't be put to death. How do you explain this to your, your family, your, your neighbors? On top of that, in her day and time, she'd known women who had died in childbirth. And so there, there was a real threat here. I mean, it was getting pregnant was probably a really good thing, but also a really hard thing. How exciting is it that God told her that she's going to have a baby? And then finally, that she's going to bear the Messiah. I mean, the son of the most high God. <laughs> like, I mean, everybody had dreamed that the Messiah would come, but I don't know that they were lining up and saying, I want him to come through me. I mean, can you imagine the kind of prayers Mary prayed? Why me, God? Why, why'd you choose me? Like, like what, do you, what do you expect of me? The, the weight of responsibility that she'd feel. So where we have this idea that, that maybe Mary was, a, was joyful at this point, it's likely that she was just really scared out of her mind. And all that to say this is, Sometimes what God calls us to go through in our lives doesn't immediately bring us joy. And sometimes God asks us to do things that that are hard and and, and difficult, and joy is not the way that we respond to God's call. Her her response, actually, was meant to be a model for the rest of us. Do you remember what she said to Gabriel? I love these words. She says, here am I, the Lord's servant let it be done to me as you have said. Here am I. She, she doesn't say, I'm so excited, I can't wait to tell my friends. She prays, here am I, the Lord's servant. By the way, the, the, the day you accept Christ into your life, this is the prayer we're, we're really trying to learn as Christians. I'm your servant, God. Lead me. I'm yours. Wherever you want to take me, I'm willing to go. I, I'm i not my own. I, I yield my life to you. You know, put me where you wanna, w- want me to be. Do with me what you will. That was Mary's prayer, but it wasn't necessarily filled with joy. We know this. Uh, Mary would go on to be the most revered woman, honored woman of all time, but she didn't know that then. <laughs> At the time, it was just confusing and, and terrifying, and, and God calls us and, and when he calls us, our, our immediate response isn't always joy. And life throws things at us, and it's not like joy is just offered to us on a silver platter. It's got to come from somewhere else. So today I want to look at four sources of joy. The first one we find we actually see in what comes next in the story. Mary now leaves, and we're told that she hurries off to the hill country in Judea, where She's going to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And we're not told that, that she tells her, her mother or her father or or Joseph immediately. Instead, she hurries off to Elizabeth because she's heard her cousin Elizabeth is pregnant. Now, Elizabeth is an older woman. She's past childbearing years. She wanted to have a child her whole life. And, and Mary had been told by the angel Gabriel that your cousin too, Elizabeth, is is pregnant. And so Mary knew that at least Elizabeth was sharing some of the same life situation. She'd had a, Elizabeth had also had a visitation from an angel, and and she was also pregnant. And so of anyone in the world, maybe Elizabeth, of all people, would be able to get it and and, and maybe understand what she was going through. And so before she'd tell another soul, Mary would tell Elizabeth. Now now I wonder, think about this. She she takes probably what is a two or three day walk, uh, journey to get to Elizabeth's. You know what she probably did? I wonder, you wonder what she did w- during that walk? A lot of alone time. No one Mary, I bet you she pondered. You know, it, it, she, it's, Mary's always pondering in, in, in the stories where we read about Mary. And, and pondering, by the way, is a great word. I, I think about it as meditating and thinking, reflecting, but I think it's related to another word that all of us are very familiar with. It's a W word, worry, right? And I wonder about what's going on in her mind as she's making this journey, thinking about, you know, will Mary understand? Will Mary be a help to me? What? I mean, will Mary just go to the rabbi and, 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 and the, the, the town officials, and will they come deal with me? What's going to happen? Right? She arrives, and, and this is what happens. In verse 41, I get shivers almost every time I read these words. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women, "'and blessed is the child you will bear.'" Folks, we can't underestimate what those words would have meant to Mary in that moment. Elizabeth offered understanding and affirmation and encouragement and and hope. She offered perspective. You know, other people would say to her, "'Mary, what an awful thing, you're pregnant.'" You know, Elizabeth says, God is doing this. You know, God is doing this. I feel it. I, I know God's up to something wonderful for, for you and, and your baby. God's in this, Mary. The, the, she goes on to say, the baby in your womb is my Lord. And I felt that my baby leap for joy when you walked in, Mary. Mary, this is too good. This is awesome. And you know what? It's only after that affirmation, it's only after this... These words of encouragement and this perspective that God is doing this, that Mary finally experiences joy. We we see it in what she says in the Magnificat. In the next verses, she says, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. These famous words of the Magnificat. Why? Because there was someone who was older and and more experienced who, who shared her life experience. To a woman of faith who came alongside her and said, you know, Mary, it's going to be okay. God's at work in this. God will take care of you, and this child in you is going to be someone really special. Here's the thing. In order for us to have joy in our lives, all of us are going to need to have an Elizabeth sometimes. You know, we we all need someone who comes alongside us when we feel like we're losing our minds and and we feel like it's all crashing down or we feel like running away or we feel like quitting or giving up where we feel like we're in this tunnel, this dark tunnel and and, and it's all dark and no light. We need an Elizabeth. We need someone who comes along and says, you know what, God has not abandoned you. He's with you. God still loves you. And we can't see what God is going to do, but God's going to do something on the other side. You, you just keep holding on and trusting because, because God has not forsaken you. And folks, this is what I know from, from my experience here at Hillside. You know, I, I know that some of you have been <laughs> through time so dark. Some of you are in it right now, actually. You couldn't figure out how you'd make it through. And yet here we stand, five, 10, 15, even 20 years later, and you look back and you can see how that that hard thing was something that God used in your life to to grow you, to transform you, and to change you, that that somehow that painful thing that came into your life, God used it for his good, for for your good, for your blessing, and for his glory. I know this happens. I, I know it always happens. But folks, when you're in the dark, when you're in the tunnel, you, you don't always know that. And, and you need to have somebody come alongside to be your Elizabeth so you can find joy, to gain perspective, to, to give hope. Talking about it this morning, some of you have lost loved ones this year. Not just the two I mentioned earlier. I know there's many of you who've who've lost somebody close to you. And uh, when that happens, I, I got a cousin. I just found out yesterday that my, my cousin's daughter may have committed suicide this week. I know she's gone. And it's devastating. And that, that you know, in, in those moments, it, it seems like all is black, right? I know this. I, I know from experience that, that losing my dad to cancer a number of years ago was the hardest thing I ever ever went through in my life. For, for many, many months, I walked around in a little bit of a daze, dazed and confused. That was me. That was, in those, those hard, hard months. Felt like, emotionally, I had nothing to give. First thing I did when I, I flew back from my dad's funeral and I had to do a funeral here. It was the very first thing I did, um, uh, returning to pastoring after I lost my dad. Ironically, it ended up being a good thing. And I was so thankful that in that time, what got me through that time, God got me through it, but He used a lot of you who'd been through that kind of thing before, and you came along, and you spoke words of encouragement and hope that kept me going. You sought to understand, and you cared, and you helped. I've told some of you before, it was many months later, about eight months later, it was actually in December of that year, that uh, my boys and me went to a a service at another church that was put on by Crossroads Hospice Society and, and that other church, and and as we sat in, in that, that service that they put on for people who had lost loved ones that year, and I remember towards the end of the service just sitting there, and many tears shed during that service, but, but I found as I'm sitting there, I could feel joy rising in my heart, and I, and I thanked God for the Elizabeths in my life who stuck with me through it. They, They walked me through that. And folks, this is the role we're called to play, and this is what we need when we're walking through dark times. My observation, oftentimes when those times hit us, we're tempted to withdraw. Sometimes we actually isolate, and we we break away from community. We pull away. But what we need most in those, those times is someone else's perspective. Not just someone who's a, a happy person, but someone who's gonna say, I, I, I care about you and, and what you're going through. And I, and I know it's hard, but you gotta know that God won't leave you. Or here's what God might be doing through this. Here's what it might look like on the other side. And I wanna say, we don't offer platitudes and cliches, but we keep on pointing them to the faithfulness of God. You don't answer the wise, but you can say, God's still God, and he's with you and he loves you. And we love you. We'll we'll stick with you. And sometimes you need to hear it over and over and over again until you begin to believe it. This is part of what we learn in Scripture. Mary was able to say, my soul glorifies the Lord because she has an elder friend who spoke into her life. Isn't that good? Leads me to the letter uh, that Paul wrote to a suffering church, a letter in Thessalonians. He wrote it because they in that church were losing loved ones, and and they were being harassed and persecuted for their faith, going through real trouble. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them. Just some quick background on this little church. Uh, You can read about how it was started by Paul in Acts chapter 17. It was so cool. Last year, Angel and I got to go on a biblical archaeological tour of uh, Greece and Turkey, and we spent some amazing time in Thessalonica or Thessaloniki, as they like to call it. I was thinking of Nikki this morning. Thessaloniki will do it in your honor today. Uh, I actually drank a cup of tea this morning out of my, my Starbucks Thessalonica mug, which it turns out they have Starbucks everywhere in the world, even in Thessalonica. It's a, it's a beautiful coastal city in Greece, uh, the northern part of the Aegean Sea. And uh, I remember being struck there by the rich, rich history of this place you know how paul visited there and when he arrived he began preaching to anyone who would listen the good news of jesus and we're told that both jews and and gentiles came to faith and 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 they actually started it, this little church kind of erupted right it was just this quick thing but but people in the town got threatened by this this new religion that was being taught by paul and so they began to harass the christians and paul had to flee by night. And the next morning, they arrested the pastor, the, the leader of the church. His name was Jason, and they put him in prison. And there continued to be just intense persecution of the church. We know this because of what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, where he says, for you welcomed the message, the good news, in the midst of severe suffering. And yet to those people who had been persecuted for their faith, Paul says, rejoice always, be joyful Always. And I think within this passage we're about to hear, Paul gives us a recipe for how to find joy. In chapter 5, beginning at verse 14, he writes, and we urge you, brother and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened and the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, there's three things we learn in in this passage, and it's not rocket science. This is not new, but these are truths that we need to remember. The first one is this. We find joy when we encourage others. It says, encourage the disheartened, help the weak. You know, when when we encourage other people, when we help other people, we find joy. And what happens is, is we kind of take our eyes off our situation, our circumstances, our troubles, and we get our eyes onto someone else. You know, you know, we're walking through the tunnel, and it may be dark. But, but suddenly, when I'm ministering to you, I'm not thinking about how bad my problems are. I get my eyes off my difficulties or my disappointments, and rather, I'm I'm focused on helping you. And when I help you, when I bless you, when I encourage you, I find joy in it. It's true. I I, I heard a number of testimonies after the service, in the first service, people saying they've experienced this. I, I was thinking about this week a, a woman who serves in our food bank, and uh, she's, she's pretty much there every single week, serving in, in the veggie department, and the fruit department, and she's got this big smile on her face, and, it's, and she's taking it personally to make sure that you get the best vegetables and fruits that are there. And so she's no, no, no. Don't waste your pick on that. To Get this. And she's a new Canadian, so she's, her English is not very strong, but it hasn't held her back at all. And with a big smile on her face, she's, she's holding up this beautiful tomato and handing it to somebody. I've watched her. It's a delight to watch. And I, I've gotten to know her. We've become friends. And I know that, that, that she's got introduced to the food bank because she needed to come to the food bank. And she still needs the food bank, She walks away when she comes with her own parcels of food because her family are economically challenged. They're new to the country. Their situation is very uncertain. They have no family network. They've they've adopted us as family. We're family now, aren't we, Angel? But I I, I notice this week after week as she comes, there's joy all over her face. She's learned a secret. There's there's joy in giving yourself away. There's joy in serving Somehow, when you serve, it's like your problems shrink. And, and you know what? Here at church, sometimes I, I think we can be, as leaders, almost a little bit embarrassed about asking for help for things. You, you know, feel a little sheepish, like, hey, we've got this need or that need. And there's always needs. We're a community. We're a family. And, and, and yet, I, I always got to remember that it's, it's a gift we're giving you, an opportunity to, to, to get involved in God's kingdom. And it's not a a burden that you carry, because often what we see is there's joy that comes out of the serving. We think that. Mary experiences some of this. I mean, when she, she writes the Magnificat, she, she really goes on to say how God lives, lifts up the poor and, and sends the wealthy away hungry, that God cares about those in low estate. And so we got to care for those in, in, in low estate, and, and we need to reach out to help them. As we do it, a byproduct of that is joy. You want joy? Help somebody else. The world will tell you, help yourself. That's the pathway to happiness. It's not true. Help someone else. That's the pathway to joy. Second thing the Apostle Paul tells us is to not to seek vengeance. I mean, these people had every reason to be bitter, to to want to return evil for evil. They've been persecuted for their faith. They've been beaten. But he he says this to them. He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do good, what is good for each other and for everyone else. Not not just for those who are in the body of Christ, but to everyone. And so we're called to practice kindness to others, not to return evil for evil. And here's the thing. It's just kind of true, right? When people hurt us. It's about the number one thing that can rob us of our joy, right? Someone disappoints you, somebody lets you down, somebody says the wrong thing, somebody offends you, it can be serious, it can be (laughs) small, (laughs) all those things can steal our joy. And and Paul says if you focus on what people have done to you or how they've hurt you, you'll be a bitter person that has no joy. I I don't have to tell you you know this is true. You, you've seen this in people. Sometimes you've been this person. I, I, I know I have. And so we know that joy is not found in paying back and in bitterness and, or in holding on to grudges. But instead he says, and this is just pure, pure gold, this is Jesus. He says, here's a recipe for getting over that. Practice kindness towards the person who harmed you. As my son would say, that's straight fire which means it's powerful and good and really works. <laughs> Translation, again, see what happens when you, when you try this. See what happens when, when somebody who, who's hurt you and you actually practice kindness towards them. Now, there are situations where this is not appropriate and doesn't apply, but I'll tell you, in a lot of the ordinary day-to-day kind of offenses that we come across in life, this just is gold. You, you treat somebody great, you treat somebody kindly who's hurt you, and it somehow transforms them and it brings you joy. I practiced it this week in a relationship that I have, and I, f- I said, it really works. It really works. And finally, in the midst of this, Paul tells them to rejoice always. Yeah, somebody telling you to rejoice always, you're like, okay, how do I do that? Well, Paul gets specific here. He says, in verse 17 and 18, he says, pray continually. That, that's to be in an attitude of communion with God all the time. That's kind of an idea of not just talking to God 24 hours. It's an a, idea of living in your life in light of God's presence, that he's with you always. And so it's, it's learning to be more attentive to God being there all the time. Some of you are just so good at this, and I envy you. Um, and, and then when you're doing that, what do you do? He says... Give thanks in all circumstances. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say give thanks in some circumstances, some of the time. He doesn't say when things are great, give thanks. In tough times? Yeah, he says give thanks. It's like you wake up in the morning and, and uh, you, you know there's this area of your life, you're, you're lying in bed thinking about your life and there's this area of your life that's tragic or difficult or, or difficult. Um, awful even. And it doesn't even have to be that serious. It could be you just wake up in the morning and and you're you're dealing with work stress or family pressures or or school stress. Some of our students right now are going crazy at the moment because of what's going on in their life at the end of the term. And and he says, give thanks in those circumstances. You see, what it does is is actually kind of like Focusing on other people's problems rather than yours, we, we begin to have to shift our thinking to where ha- is God working in my life? Where where is God doing this good thing in me? What, what is God up to? And and there's lots of things at any given time that we can that that can rob us of our joy, but and, and we actually do pray about those things, by the way. We we do bring those issues to God, but in the midst of that, we pause and say, God, even though what I'm going through is rough. I thank you that you're still God and that you're still with me. I, I, I thank you that I, I, you haven't left me to my own devices here. You're, you're willing to stick this through right to the bitter end, Lord, whatever it is that's going on. I'm still breathing. Your grace and mercy is sure. I'm, I'm never alone. I thank you for the gifts I have, the, the ability to serve. I thank you for the way that you, you faithfully take what's going on in my life and you turn it into something good or grow me through it. To give thanks in all circumstances actually focuses our mind on those things that bring us joy, focuses our our mind on what God might do, focuses our mind on on the kind of perspective that that tells us that suffering is not the end, that there's hope. It's kind of funny this fall. I, I, I know God often speaks to me with just a thought in my head, and uh, do you know what he said uh, early in the fall? might have been around Thanksgiving, a few weeks before Thanksgiving. Uh, it was a very simple message, and I got the message. Stop whining, Derwin. That's what he said. You ever got a message like that from God? Yeah, yeah, stop whining. So I, I, and you know, I, I say that, and it, it's like um, if I heard that from a parent or from a boss or from a spouse or whoever... Uh, I, you know, you'd probably be a tone of, like, not niceness to it, like, you know what I'm saying? And uh, there was no, 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 none of that tone to it. It was, it was actually the most loving I've ever heard someone say stop whining to me ever. It's like a father who's lo- knowing, hey, whining, you know, is going to kill your soul. Whining's not good for you, dear one. <laughs> And, and, and it, it struck me and it's, 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 I've been kind of living with that word and, and I feel like I'm on a journey to learn the language of gratitude in everyday life. And, and, and it's been challenging, I, I feel like I'm GSL. You know ESL, English as a second language? GSL, gratitude is my second language or third or fourth or somewhere really down And uh, so, I've been practicing in in new ways for me, this whole idea of of gratitude, and the big surprise for it, it's been bringing me joy. And you can even ask my wife, she's nodding her head like, yes, it's true, he's not lying, that dirty preacher. (laughs) She she doesn't have that look on her face. Um, She's got that look like, yeah, he's more joyful. And it's come as I've learned how to say, thanks, God, for not what I don't have, but for what I do. Some of you need to go on a, a, on a GSL course, right? We, we could do this together as a, as a community, become more adept at saying thank you for the way God is at work in our lives, amen? You know, I, I don't care what you're going through. God is faithful, is he not? I mean, I do care what you're going through. I take that back. That didn't sound very pastoral. But God is still God, right? And he's still good, and he loves us. That's right. Amen. Well, where were we? Brings us to the conclusion. It's possible to have joy even when life is overwhelming and hard. It really is. You may not have happiness, but it's possible to have a certain kind of joy because joy is not based on the outside. It's not based on our situation or our circumstances. It's based on a certain perspective and on, on faith and on things that we can do to produce joy. Folks, it'll mean we need an Elizabeth. You know, we, we need people who are cheering us on this week. That's, this is why you need to be at church every week, right? You may have had a, a terrible week, a difficult week. You need church every week. You need that time where you gather here and where when you're singing, you, you remember that there is a God in the heavens. And, and when we pray, we, you remember that God actually listens to his people. And, and, and then in, in the song sung, you hear about the glory of God, and, and suddenly your life is put in a different perspective because you gathered in this place, because you bothered to come, because you're surrounded by Elizabeth's here. We also remember we're called to be an Elizabeth to someone. There, there are people who, are, who you're going to encounter this week, and, and they're going to need someone to say, you know what, I care about you. And somehow God's going to see you through this, and they need you to be an Elizabeth, Elizabeth for them. We can, we can find joy when we seek to encourage others and, and when others encourage us. And we can find joy when instead of seeking payback for, for wrongs, we do kindness to others. We find joy when we pray and we give thanks in, in all circumstances. So this is my invitation to you this morning. Joy can be found even in the darkest times. And folks, we can't manufacture joy, but there are attitudes and behaviors that we can begin to adopt that set the table for joy in our lives. I hear God inviting us to set the table for for joy because joy is coming. Worship team, come on up. And as they're coming, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray this morning. Do that. This is Joy Sunday, God, and we thank you and give you praise that you are our rock, you're our our solid foundation. When the rest of the world seems to be spinning out of control, when our lives are, are disordered and difficult and coming apart, and when we walk through these dark moments in our lives, you're the light at the end of the tunnel. We thank you, Father, that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, You're there with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. And and, and Lord, we thank you for people who come alongside us that you send to encourage us and to care for us and, and to love us at those times when we don't have joy and to remind us of who we are and whose we are. Help us, Lord, to be those people for others. God, to be an Elizabeth for someone this week would be such a privilege. God, we we want that. We, we want to be that kind of help. W- would you help us, Lord, find ways to, to serve and, and to strengthen and to encourage and help the weak? And Father, help us. As hard as it is, Lord, help us not to focus on the wrongs that others have done to us, but, but actually to boldly, brazenly return kindness when, when we've been wronged. Lord, help us to grow in an understanding of your constant presence with us all the time, that you're always near, Mm -hmm. that we might pray continually. And Lord, ah Lord, teach us how to be grateful, to give thanks even when things aren't perfect. They never are. Mm -hmm. Lord, help us in this this good work of of thanking you and, and giving thanks for all your blessings. And again, Lord, I pray, would you today fill us with your joy by the power of your Holy Spirit? He'll say, I just see you right now. I see God wanting to pour joy into your life. Make it so, Father, I pray. Make it so. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.